Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I'm your host, Tony Peterson, and today I'm going to take a deep dive into the unfortunate reality of all hunting, and of course, whitetail hunting. Listen, no one wants to talk about it without pointing fingers. No one really wants to acknowledge what we are facing as hunters, but the end is coming. It's not soon enough to cause too much alarm, but it is the reality that I believe we need to face. Do I think we can stop it? I don't know. Probably not. But I think we can slow it down. And that's what this podcast is all about. Doom and gloom, negativity. We are inundated with bad news all day, every day, and it is no fun. It has divided us. It's left us at our most tribal point since, well, we all kind of lived in tribes. That's crazy. But we are stuck in this brave new world. In the grand scheme of it all, it seems crazy to even be concerned with something like hunting. The big picture issues that dominate the 24-hour news cycle and their curated propaganda that goes along with it, they seem so much more important. But to you and I, hunting is important. The existence of whitetails in the woods and the chance to go hunt them is muy importante. And it might feel like it's not really threatened, like those opportunities aren't threatened, but they are. They really are. So where am I going with this? Let me bring up a couple examples to drive home the overall point of this episode before I really get into it. 
The first one is happening out there in Wyoming. If you've been playing the points game there, the preference point game, I should say, in the Cowboy State, you've maybe heard about some of the task force recommendations out there. And basically, and I'm really just summing this up quickly here, they're looking at a 90-10 split for the truly keynote species in Wyoming. This means that if you have your heart set on drawing a sheep tag or maybe a Shiras moose bull tag, but you're not in the top three point pools, you are super duper shit out of luck. All that money you dumped into points is basically charity. Now, it isn't official yet, so maybe I'm way off base here, but that's what they're looking at. It seems like non-residents are in for a real treat with Wyoming. Probably in a few years, you'll see this 90-10 situation creep into the elk, antelope, and mule deer point pools too. When that happens, it's going to suck for a lot of people who will pull out of the points game altogether. Wyoming knows this, so one of the things they'll probably do is raise those non-resident license prices more to make up the difference. And the world keeps spinning. Head on south from Wyoming to the great state of Arizona, and you'll see that they too are taking a shot at non-residents. The days of the over-the-counter coos deer mule deer tags are dying on the old vine. So what, you think? I'm a whitetail hunter, and I don't need to worry about those western states. Well, maybe you haven't heard yet about the state of Nebraska and how they're tightening things up this year for non-residents as well, with a cap on non-resident whitetail tags. Now, you might be thinking, good, we need to cater to those residents of whatever state first. After all, they pay the taxes. They deserve to reap the rewards. And anyway, if someone really wants to hunt my state, they should just up and move here. Now, if you think that, or if you say that, go on over and ask some Montana and Idaho residents how they feel about people moving into their state. It's not working out so well for them. And on the tax thing, the tax argument, let's be real honest here. If you're traveling to hunt, you're paying your share of taxes. And those pesky federal taxes end up going to every state in various forms, not the least of which is to manage the federal land on which all of us should be able to hunt. But then you've got the wildlife being held in a state trust for all the citizens, which muddies the water and gives hunters a great excuse to screw other hunters, which is what we are doing these days. And it's not going to end well. Now listen, I don't care what your reason is for advocating to take away hunting opportunities from other hunters. If the state deems it's a resource issue and there's a good biological motive, I totally get that. We've got to manage these animals. If it's a social issue and you'd rather just have the animals in the ground to yourself, then there's somewhat of a problem there. And listen, I know, I I know everyone does this. This is perhaps the most maddening thing about hunters in today's world. We say we are all in this together, but the moment there is a chance to try to get easier hunting for ourselves at the behest of our fellow hunters, we take it. Now that's a short-term game though, and I don't think it bodes well for our future. I think we need to think about this. The truth is we are losing hunting opportunities without having to actively lobby to take them away from our fellow hunters. There are quite a few of us out there and the places we have left to hunt are mostly shrinking. That's a big problem. We also have a ton of promotion around hunting, which I'm absolutely guilty of. I can't help it. I want people to hunt. I think we need people to hunt. And I think one of the ways we kick this old can down the road is by getting more people involved in our passion. Now, I realize that leaves us at odds with overcrowded woods. But here's the thing about that. It doesn't mean anything. Your overcrowded might be vastly different from my overcrowded and probably is. 
A common and widely unchallenged example of overcrowding involves Colorado elk on public land. Having gone out there for elk a handful of times, listen, I get it. The crowding can be intense. But the weird thing is, the elk are out there somewhere. I've never not encountered elk, and I'm a bad elk hunter. I do hunt with some good elk hunters, which certainly helps, but I've also run into elk on my own out there in a couple of different crowded units. And it feels like the same rules apply in the whitetail woods. I don't care how crowded you say your state is or some specific property because someone could go in there and kill a deer. Hell, someone could go in there and kill a big deer, probably somewhat consistently. The opportunities for animals are out there, even in the busiest of spots. But the opportunities are being taken away. And when they go, they don't come back. One of my biggest hunting regrets is not drawing a Minnesota moose tag when I could have. The rules before the hunt was closed down in I think 2012 or 2013, they called for a party application. Anywhere from two to four hunters had to apply together. And it was a one and done deal, once in a lifetime. Now, I just never buddied up with anyone who I thought would want to hunt as hard as I wanted you know, and spend the whole 16 days or whatever the season was. So I never applied. Then we had a series of confusing factors contribute to the decline of our population and the season was put on hold. That was like a decade ago and it's still on hold. This lost opportunity was blamed on brain worms, global warming and wolves. And you know what? Doesn't really matter what caused it because it's gone now and it's probably never coming back. And this problem doesn't just involve the big picture of hunting for certain species like moose or sheep or whatever it is that you'll probably never get to hunt like I won't. It gets down to a more micro level as well. Urban sprawl is eating up the suburbs and with it, the parcels that many of us used to hunt. You might think, well, I live in rural wherever and those city slickers aren't coming for me, but don't get too cocky. I know a lot of folks who have been in cities like Bozeman, Montana, for example, who never thought the average shitty little house would be selling sight unseen to California transplants for three quarters of a million dollars either. There they are. There are plenty of people growing up right now who are going to want to live and work in a remote place. That That is not going to go away. That's going to keep happening. The appeal of being able to work from anywhere, even a nice little town in the Midwest where whitetails dominate, is real. The thing about this is when people lose their spots to hunt, they only have a couple of options. You go find a new place, often through leasing or occasionally buying a place outright, or they quit hunting. Both aren't great for our future. Now, I'm not knocking leasing as an option because it is what it is and it's here to stay. It's a good move for a lot of landowners that also happens to benefit a lot of folks like you and I. But it's also the kind of thing that's designed for exclusivity, and that means you pay or you don't play. The ones who can't or don't want to pay end up hunting on public land or getting permission to hunt the dairy farms that allows anyone to hunt. This leads generally to a degraded quality of experience, which further causes the whole thing to spiral. I know what some of you are thinking. Aren't you one of those assholes who pushed everyone into hunting and encouraged people to travel to new states? Aren't you making a sweet living off the outdoors and ruining it for good hunters who just want to be left alone? Yeah, yeah. I mentioned that earlier, and I do want people to hunt. I really do. I mean that. I want people to go have cool adventures in the woods and disconnect from our increasingly technologically murky lives. That's why this stuff worries me so much. I firmly believe we need people in our ranks. I think the only way to survive is through two things. 
you know, once our collective voice stays as relevant as possible, that's important. And we open up as much land to hunting as we can. The first one is just a sheer numbers game. And it involves hunters doing something we haven't done very well in the past, which is not be apathetic. I know that's hard. Trust me. I'm as apathetic as they come. I hate being involved in stuff. I hate joining organizations. I'm mostly an introvert at heart. But hunting is important. And hunting opportunities keep the whole thing alive and kicking. So even though you love it when people cancel plans for things you didn't want to do in the first place, and you'd be just as happy to sit at home and watch Netflix with your pets, the reality is that it's a good thing to get involved with this stuff somehow. Now, if that's, a, I don't know, joining the Pope and Young Club or the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, so be it. If it's becoming a member of your local archery club, so be it. If it's just recruiting one person a year into our ranks through a solid introduction to hunting, so be it. In fact, that might be the best way to do this through grassroots efforts where we vet people through our own interests and decide if they are worth the time and the effort of an introduction. Because not everyone is, but most people deserve a shot. Now, this movement doesn't work very well with the other part that addresses access, however. Without the land available to hunt, it doesn't do us much good to recruit a pile of new hunters into our ranks. We need land that is open, and that is something I think we should all advocate for. It is so important, whether you're a resident or a non-resident of whatever state, whether you have a prime spot all locked up or are stuck hunting public land with a bunch of weekend warriors who litter the woods with scent wicks and bang antlers together every five minutes. Walk-in programs and anything else that addresses this issue pretty much win in my book. I don't think we have too many other options for preserving our chances to hunt for the masses. I really don't. I think access is it. And I know this is a weird one. And it's easy to look the other way. After all, what are the odds your own state is going to limit deer hunting opportunities to the point where it will affect you personally? Who knows? That's dependent on a ton of different factors. But the cautionary tale comes from the West again. If you think that maybe in 10 or 15 years your own state won't limit residents to whitetails and whitetail opportunities, think again. It's absolutely possible. And it will come from the same source that is currently working so hard to limit other hunters opportunities complaining or complainers i guess right now right now the target is non-residents because we have a legal loophole to screw fellow hunters who live across drawn lines on a map that's an easy one but it, it's hiding our true nature in the us versus them thing resident versus non-resident fight the lines are drawn out and the battles are clearly defined the winners and losers they're easy enough to parse out while that's bound to keep happening, the next wave, and I hope it's a wave that doesn't happen soon, will be residents taking on other residents. As we get pushed onto the land that's left, there's going to be more conflict, more demand for spots, more issues. And guess what? That hunter who is screaming from the rooftops about the poacher non-residents and the no ethics and no morals, who shoot all the animals in litter and probably kick puppies and maybe even strangles baby seals for fun... That person will eventually be out of the conversation, but the person bitching won't though, and there will be time to find a new target, and it might be someone who was on your side not that long ago when the enemy didn't have as much power because he lives somewhere else. We eat our own so often, and listen, I get it. I like uncrowded woods. I like easy hunting sometimes. I like not having people walk through my setups and not seeing 14 trucks at the trailhead or parking lot on my favorite WMA. But I also like hunting, just hunting, and you do too. 
And even though it feels like it'll never go away, it's going to. It won't through one fell swoop. It'll be a bunch of little swoops. Is that right? What the hell does fell swoop mean anyway? I don't Sorry. This will be like death from a thousand paper cuts. CWD is going to get us there and it's going to affect our opportunities. Urban sprawl is going to get us there. Trophy hunting and the big money it attracts, that'll be in the mix too. There's a lot of doom and gloom on this front, my friends. But we haven't passed the event horizon yet on this black hole of hunting where escape is not going to happen anymore. We're still orbiting out there, staring into its black maw and wondering if we will slip across the threshold. I don't know when that'll happen, but I think it's gonna. And I think we need to acknowledge that it's a real possibility in our lifetimes. And if not, by the time this next generation gets to the point where they've got a little gray in their beard and the crushing weight of middle age settled upon their shoulders, more land, more access, that equals more opportunities. I know it's probably not the only thing we can do, but it's something worth fighting for. It might be the saplings we plant that will eventually become trees from which we will never pick an apple or enjoy the shade of, but someone will. If we love hunting the way we say we do, I think it's a good idea that we consider getting our shovels out and trying to plant some of those trees. That's a metaphor, obviously. Maybe it won't work, or maybe I'm just wrong about all this stuff, but I don't know. I think we can see a thousand little examples throughout the various states and the hunting that happens within our borders that portends the future as well as any glimpse into the old crystal ball would. Maybe this is my plea after all this rambling. Let's try to do something. If you'd rather eat a live cockroach than join an organization, maybe take someone out who has an interest in hunting. Show them this part of your world and let them decide if it's as special as you and I think it is or not. If there's a chance to get something going access-wise, that's another great goal. Here in Minnesota, we have a walk-in program that opens up a couple hundred thousand acres for $3. I buy it every year, even though I don't usually hunt any of the ground, because it's worth the $3, even if I don't enjoy it. Some other hunters will. Spreads out everybody. Everybody's a little happier. I'd pay more than that, quite a bit more, honestly. And lastly, maybe the best thing we can do is stop complaining so much. This goes for all of us because it's fun to bitch. I love it, but it's also damaging. It tends to bring other people down or rope them into our negativity, and it tends to degrade the whole experience. It's a big problem with hunting, and it's not doing us any favors. The Western hunter who bitches about too many Wisconsin license plate at the trailhead is probably never going to be happy. It will probably only serve to lessen the whole thing for everyone, including him or herself. And to what end? To limit the options for other folks? To make it easier for themselves? to excuse away another poor performance because bitching is easier than scouting and hunting hard? Who knows? But I do know it's a drain on all of us and we could all use a reminder to try to stay a little more positive. So all right, (sighs) that's my rant on this topic. I'm done. I'm done with it. Next week, I'm going to talk about something totally different. I'm going to get into hunting with kids and actually two-part episode on everything you need to think about from getting kids started on whitetail hunting to what you really, 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 really need to think about when you're trying to set up for them to have a high odd shot. That's it, my friends. This has been the Where to Hunt Foundations podcast, and I'm your host, Tony Peterson. This episode was brought to you by First Light, which now has a whole bunch of whitetail garments that are designed to keep you from freezing in the wind. As always, thank you so much for listening for your support. All of us here at Meteor really, really appreciate it. If you want more whitetail content, check out our Wired to Hunt YouTube channel and visit the meateater.com slash wired for all kinds of deer strategy 
deer hunting tips, whatever you need to become a little bit better of a deer hunter, those articles are there. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate Rust Resistant Griddle.